the best, best thing you can do when you recognise that you're not sleeping, that you are having these thoughts that could actually escalate to potentially considering committing suicide is to whoever it may be, whoever the closest person to you is, the person who you know deep, deep down loves you no matter what, tell them. It's the best thing you can do because once you do that, it's on the table. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Gavin here. Welcome back to the Business Mastermind podcast. Today, we're talking about the mental health in the workplace, a really, really important subject. When David Kane, who I'd worked with a number of years ago when I did some work with Ford Great Britain, their retail arm, Trust Ford, when David reached out to me to tell a little of his story around his own journey with mental health challenges to the point where he seriously considered taking his life and the work he is now doing in his new business, Automotive Minds, to raise uh, awareness of the challenges around mental health in the place of work and particularly the automotive industry, I was only too delighted to support him, to get him on the show, to have a conversation about mental health and the things that we can do, the steps that we can take to be aware and and mindful of and look out for the early warning signs in our employees. So into my conversation now with David Kane of Automotive Minds. Hi, and welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Great to have you back on the show. And David Kane. David and I um, have known each other, gosh, eight years? Something like that. Yeah, uh, six to eight years. Uh, six to eight years. Um, when I did a, some work um, with a friend and colleague of mine, and his David Taylor and his uh, team at Naked Leader, I did some work with him Ford uh, Great Britain and Ford, and Ford Retail. And uh, David and I created a David Kane, who is now my guest on the show today. David Kane and I created a, a sort of a good connection. Um, now, David has uh, sort of left day-to-day work within the motor trade, uh, w- w- within the automotive industry, to specialize specifically about helping people in business, but specifically within the automotive industry with mental health. Um, David, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Thank you, Gavin. It's great to it's great to see you again, and have a uh, thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. So let's hear your story because I, I, it's a re- I read your story. We reached out, we connected. It's a very moving story, and I think the messages that come from it are particularly relevant. Yeah. So uh, obviously, my, my, my background predominantly over the last nineteen years now has, has been in the automotive industry, and, and during my time, I've, I've been very fortunate and blessed to, to have a really good career. Um, you know, I started as a, as a sales executive back in 2002 uh, and over the years, uh, you know, moved my way through uh, the organisation, predominantly with Ford uh, and Ford Retail, um, doing a variety of roles, both at dealer level, uh, regional level and national level. Uh, the latter years of my career have been very much around learning and development, sales training um, and also uh, running sites as a head of, head of, as a head of business. Um, in terms and your most of, uh, recent one? My, my, my most recent one was a head of business at Audi. So I was a head of business at uh, Jardine Motors. Um, I, I've also worked for Virtue Motors and, like I say, uh, Ford Retail. So yeah. in terms of um, the, 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 the mental health side of it, so 
I've been I've always been quite fortunate that in, in any role that I've undertaken, I've had uh, great degrees of success. And, and and of course, any any manager will say that that success is is only as good as the as the team that you've got. So I've also been very privileged to, to work with some exceptionally talented people uh, along the way. Um, and you know, when I first came out, uh, you know, unmasked myself that I'd, I'd been suffering from poor mental health. Uh, on my LinkedIn profile, etc., you know, there was a lot of words that were used to describe me, what people saw in terms of me. They talked about somebody who was determined, confident, extrovert, you know, a lot of real positive, positive words. But obviously inside, they didn't know what was actually going on. And this is, this is what people with poor mental health do. They create an illusion. They create a mask to the outside world uh, that can actually make people believe that you're, you're perfectly okay, that you're very, very strong. Um, but, but inwardly, like I say, you're, you're in turmoil. So, so when you talk about what was your experience, you say poor mental health or you were struggling, what was your, whilst everybody saw a confident, determined person externally, what was your inner world like? So, uh, yeah, so, so what, I've, what I've done now is I've connected with, with, with that inner world um, since, since accepting the fact that, that, uh, that, that I had a problem. So there's, there's been quite a few uh, personal and professional things that have happened to me over the past uh, eight years that, uh, that have badly impacted me. Uh, and I'll share a couple with you and, and, and the people who are listening. Um, so, uh, having done a lot of research into the mind and, and really connecting with my past, I think it's fair to say that my mental health started its decline. And it was a very gradual decline; it wasn't sudden. Uh, around about 2011, when I lost when I lost my nan, and you know, my reaction to challenges and has been very very similar for each one. So, when my nan passed away, rather than um, really deal with the emotion of that. Uh, what I did is I threw myself into organising the funeral. I threw myself into doing the eulogy. So what I didn't do is probably allow myself to grieve uh, as well as I should have done. We then moved forward to 2013. And in 2013, my, my son was born, but we very nearly lost him in childbirth. Um, it was Aaron was too far uh, in terms of the birthing process for a cesarean to be conducted. So it was basically, you know, he had to be delivered and quickly. So um, I could see the heart monitor going and, you know, the way in which he was born was, if you can imagine a tug of war, that's what it looked like. It was, it was really, you know, quite, quite a thing to see. And of course, my wife couldn't see it because, of course, she was shielded off from it. So looking back now, I think I probably suffered a degree of PTSD around that. Uh, yeah. You know, looking back now. Because uh, you so nearly quite, lost him very nearly lost him of course you know never been in a birthing room before and it was really really traumatic to see what was what was happening now he's um, okay now yeah well yes and yes he is i mean you know we, we'd rather have him you know he's, he's he's a great little chap he's you know he's very happy go lucky unfortunately he's, uh, as part of the birthing process he they damaged his neck so he's had to have a, an operation and there will be further operations that he'll, he'll need to have um, and recently he's also now been um, diagnosed as being uh, dyslexic, which as a family we're, we're also, um, you know, working our way through. So he's had a challenging start to his seven, seven years, but, he, he, you know, he's a, he's a lovely uh, little chap and, um, you know, he, he lightens our world, to be fair. Um, so that, so that, that, was, that was 13. In 15, I decided to change roles. So I was a learning and development manager and I moved into a head of business role. 
uh, overseeing three sites for, for, for Trust Ford. Uh, and that, of course, is a, a big shift in, in a career. So I had that um, to, to, to work through. Um, and then um, in the same year, my father went out for a walk and got a bit of shortness of breath to be taken to the hospital, hospital to be told that basically uh, some of his main arteries were 90% diseased and would need to go under the surgeon's knife. So again, this determined individual that I'm seen as being the, old, the, the go-to person when you've, you've got a crisis, uh, my dad sat me down obviously to put his affairs in order should the worst happen. And looking back now, you know, obviously throughout the operation, I was in support mode to my mum, was a really dealing with the emotion of the situation myself. I don't think I was. And, and the reason I say, I, in fact, I know that I wasn't is because on reflection now, when we went into the ICU and my dad's there with all the tubes and, and what have you with, with my mother, I didn't cry. And, you know, that's, that's not me. You know, I am in my nature quite an emotional uh, individual. You know, I've got a heart, uh, I've got a good heart in that respect. But I was, I was so fixated on supporting my mother. I was so fixated on that should the worst have happened, I'd have had to have gone into solution mode, you know, um, again. But again, what I was seeing in the same way with Aaron, what I was seeing, I don't think I was allowing my feelings to compute what was going on with myself. I was holding it, holding it in. We, um, we then get to 2016, um, and then, you know, and in fairness, you know, the, at this point, you know, the outputs of work, profitability, things like that, are working perfectly fine. You know, the, the, there's, there's nothing uh, on the surface to suggest that there's really something going on from a professional standpoint, albeit, again, inwardly, I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to struggle at this point. Um, in 2016, um, we got told that one of our drivers, uh, Tony Yates, a uh, really gentle and, and, and lovely man, uh, he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease and uh, was given a short time to live. So my thought process at that point as a head of business was very much supporting the staff, making sure that they were okay, supporting Tony, supporting his family, working with my HR manager, uh, Jane Hogarth, to, to, to make sure that Tony and his, his family were we're okay. We did a lot of good work with Ben, the charity, to support his, his family. And we also raised over a thousand pounds for a motor neuron disease charity in, in Tony's honour by doing a, a fireside competition. But again, not really, you know, when you're faced with situations like that in life, your own mortality really should come into focus. You know, you start to see, you know, how fragile life is. And of course, as a father, you know, even more so. But I wasn't doing that. I wasn't, I wasn't allowing myself to feel what was going on. I was just again in, in solution mode we then get to the end of, of 2016 and we you know one of my sites was untenable in terms of its lease so we we went about going through some redundancy consultations and you know one in, one of those people that were that was affected by that i'd known for my entire career and it was a really difficult thing for me to to do albeit on the outside you know uh, I'm sure the people that I was talking to saw this, you know, quite emotionless, you know, in the zone. We, we had a job to do in terms of, you know, making sure that we did the processes right. But inwardly, when you're seeing people sat in front of you, you know, yeah, struggling tough. in tears, really worried about their lives, etc. It's very, very, you know, it's very, very difficult 
to see. But again, everything you're discussing is bound by confidentiality and you've got to you know, make sure that you, you do it correctly. But it was really, really tough. In 2017, uh, at the same time as, as, as closing one site, another one of my sites was going through over a million pounds worth of renovation and we were working out of port cabins. Uh, so that was, was quite difficult. So at the end of the March, of course, March being a registration month. Of course, um, yeah, yeah. I decided to go on holiday, as you would, uh, with my wife and my family. Uh, and as we're walking, we, we, we basically land, we put our cases down, we go for a little walk to, to see what Alacudia is all about. And as we're walking, my phone starts to ring and it was one of my sales controllers who doesn't never rung me when I was in the business, let alone when I was on holiday. So I thought, this just doesn't feel right. So, of, of course, I took the call. This is day one of a 10-day holiday. And when I picked up the phone, uh, I was met with the news that um, a colleague of mine um, who was a part of the Great Britain skydiving team had um, sacrificed his own life to save a student uh, who'd got into difficulties in the air um, and, and basically passed away. And his son was actually on the ground watching this. Oh so I'm hit God. with this. I'm hit with this story when I'm 10 days to go on my holiday. So obviously that, that wasn't really a break and I couldn't really, I couldn't wait to get back if, if truth was to be known. And uh, again, when I, when I got back, it was again, you know, with the same HR manager who had a great working relationship with a, a brilliant professional, Jane. Um, me and Jane set about, again, making sure that the staff were, were well cared for. We did a black tie day in his honour. We did, you know, a, a minute's um, silence in his honour. We had a breakfast um, meeting where the managers made breakfast and we celebrated Carl's life. We did, we did it right. Um, we liaised with his family, uh, myself, Jane, and the service manager Claire. We were the we were the chauffeurs, the funeral cortege. The family couldn't afford, you know, uh, cars, so we we decided that we'd do that for them. But again, all in all this time, again. I'm, I know now looking back, I wasn't dealing with the emotion of what had actually happened. I was again, just fix, fixating myself on a point and, and, and I just kept moving forward without really experiencing what, what life was, was throwing at me. And, and, and that, was, that was there. And then, you know, just when you think things can't get any worse, in the May, of course, was the Manchester bombing and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law were caught up in the bombing. Uh, both fortunately survived, um, but uh, both were taken to hospital with with uh, with injuries. Um, so again, we were, you know, I'm there to support my family. I'm there to support my wife, her mother, her father, my nieces, my nephews. I wasn't dealing with the emotion of, of these are two people that I have known for, you know, best part of nine years that you know are, are in a really, um, you know, they've had a harrowing experience. They're in. They're in hospital for having to have operations and you know at that time anybody anybody who um was caught up in that because of the the nature of the the incident we again were in were allowed as a family to go into uh what you know wards that ordinarily you wouldn't be allowed to go into so again as well as dealing with you know looking at your brother-in-law etc surrounding you uh, our people are in are in a really really bad way um so so that was that was really tough and what happened over the course of 17 18 you know on reflection i i had slowly started to decline in terms of myself you know i wasn't being consistent anymore 
I was becoming quite paranoid. I knew I weren't operating uh, to, to, to my capability. I, I, was, I wasn't behaving in the right way. Um, and, you know, if you learn about mindfulness, there's a saying in mindfulness that says that hurt people hurt people. That's what you do. Uh, not that you'd want to. You know, I, I would never want to hurt anybody. But my actions, my inconsistency, the way that I was, was, was a big problem. Um, and, and, you know, I was having to, I was having to deal with that. Um, so it, it's fair to say at the end, my position, um, just, it, it just became a little bit untenable. You know, I left, uh, trust board, uh, you know, with, with well wishes on, on both sides, but at the time I didn't realize what was going on with me still. Um, and then I, I basically then went from, you didn't have an awareness of your change in behavior. You know, and, and this is the, and, and the mad thing about it is that, you know, when you look back on it, Gavin, um, there were signs, um, outward signs um, that, that could have been picked up on. So, for example, I started to grow a beard. And, you know, yeah. there's photographs of me at my latter stages of Trust Board. You know, head of biz- as a head of business, I looked pretty scruffy, to be fair. Um, I wasn't looking after myself. You know, I was, I, I comfort eat when I'm stressed. I was putting weight on, you know. So there was, there was things there that, that perhaps, you know, with a fresh pair of eyes, people may have thought, you know, that doesn't look quite right. You know, Dave seems to be putting weight on. He, you know, he, he looks a bit, you know, untidy, unkept. You know, I wonder if everything's okay. But again, this this mask of determination of, you know, almost me against the world, really, which was not a good place to be. You know, anybody... You, you, and you against your own world. Correct, because, you know... Our natural instincts as human beings is to defend ourselves. When you when you feel you're yeah. under attack, even you, you go into defense mode. You, you don't listen. You just you know you're right. You've got to fight, and that and that's what you do. And of course, it was the wrong way. It was the wrong way of being. You know, when, fight when or flight, and it was it, it yeah. was in, it was triggering the fight response. And Absolutely. you felt with all this accumulation of things that had happened over the years to you emotionally that you felt personally you were under attack when. But you know, there wasn't literally somebody there, you know, with a baseball bat in front of you um, or somebody attacking you. But it was just this accumulation of real emotional challenges and instances that yeah. you felt you were being bombarded. Yeah, and you know, when 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 you list those, you know, as well as of mm. course then going on to change jobs. When you list all those back to back, I mean, it's fair to say that that's quite a heavy seven years for, for an individual to, to, to be under. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. So, so you know, in terms of living with, you know, a, a mental health condition, and I can reflect on it on it now, um, it's a really, it's a really lonely place. You, you know, the, the mind doesn't do what we'd all wish it would do in those situations. What what the mind does, when when you get as low as I got, every single thought that enters your head is one of negativity about yourself. You start to attack yourself. That's what you do. Um, so for example, you know, if, if you're working late three nights on the run and you haven't put your kids to bed and you haven't given them a bath, you haven't read them a story, your brain is telling you you're a really bad father. That's what it's telling you. It's absolutely bombarding you with that message time and time again. So no matter what you decide to focus your attention on, your brain is telling you that you are bad at that, that you are poor at that. You know, if it's relationships, you're a bad friend, you're a bad colleague, and it will give you flashbacks that reinforce that. A time where you were short with someone, a time where you didn't do something in the right way. 
And when it gets to its absolute worst, you know, it then starts to affect your sleep patterns. I mean, I was operating, you know, if I was getting two, three hours sleep a night, I was doing really well. Wow. A lot of the time I was sat in my living room, lights off, just sat in the dark, me and my thoughts. That, that's what I was oh, doing. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing, you know, and, and what I say to people is that really there's only two times. I only found myself alone with, my, with, with these dangerous thoughts on two occasions in my life. One is, as I've just described, at night time when everybody's asleep, not a good place to be no, no. when you, you've got bad thoughts. And the second is when I was driving back into to work, which really? again is not a good place to be when you, you, you're not in, in, in a good frame of mind. So, you know, the best thing I could say to, to anybody who's listening to this, uh, you know, obviously if anybody wants to, you know, reach out and speak to me, then you know, I'm, I'm always available. The amount of people, you know, we're, we're probably getting up to over a hundred now, people that I don't even know who's have read my story, it's resonated with them and they're phoning me or they're contacting me. They haven't even told the family yet, but they're reaching out to me. It's quite humbling really. But, but what I've said to them and what I'll say to anybody who's listening, the best best thing you can do when you recognize that you're not sleeping that you are having these thoughts that could actually escalate to potentially considering committing suicide is to whoever it may be whoever the closest person to you is the person who you know deep deep down loves you no matter what tell them it's the best thing you can do because once you do that it's on the table it's that and did, you, a, and did you have a moment then where up until you hadn't you tried to shield it from your wife and then you had it got to a moment where something happened that you realized that you actually had to, to tell your wife yeah. and your family well the, the mad thing about it is you know and, I, and i've got a phenomenal wife um you know I, I couldn't i couldn't be where i am today without her love and support um to to be fair she a lesser woman i think would have separated and divorced me because I wasn't the man that she married. You know, I'd, I'd, you know, you look back on it now, we both do. I'd, I'd changed beyond all recognition. I was not the husband, the father, the person that, that she fell in love with and she knows, you know, back from early days at court and et cetera. But what happened was, and again, Gavin, I couldn't tell you what it was uh, that, that triggered it. But basically in September of last year, I was on a Sunday morning making pancakes for my, my two kids and Kate found me in absolute turmoil, you know, crying, shaking, trying my best to explain where I was really hard, really hard. But, you know, the arm went round me. Um, I was helped to, to, you know, I knew that her love and support was there. Um, and we, 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 we tried to, and, and I'll be honest with you, I did not tell anybody other than my wife at this point that, that we had a problem. And we decided foolishly, and this comes back to the, to, you, know, per, you know, male pride, for want of a better word, um, the stigma potentially. I decided that I was going to keep it to myself, that we were going to try and deal with this ourselves. So we we got some professional help hypnotherapy things like that that we paid for ourselves we did so specifically yeah. did you what did you what did you go to and what did you find that you worked so you tried you worked with hypnotherapy did you try yeah. cbt well yeah well what i did is i decided that some of it i was going to take into my own hands so i decided uh, you know that i was going to learn about mindfulness cbt right. all of those you know really you know study it try and understand it yeah. uh, as best cbt as being cognitive behavioral therapy 
correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, as well as obviously the, the professional help that I was getting. And to be fair, you know, I thought things were were, were going pretty well. Uh, I was up and down again. You know, I, I don't think I was anywhere near um, as as balanced as, as as I had been. You know, ten fifteen years ago. Uh, you know, I was still very much trying to get myself back in the right place. But then in February, and again, you know, I don't know what the the, the trigger was. But you know, I, I'm I'm driving down the road to work on the M53, doing seventy miles an hour. I mean, ab- absolute floods of tears. Just you know, re- as as I'm, as I'm thinking about it now, it, it was just one of the most horrific things that could ever happen to a human being. Um, you know, and my brain is telling me to just do it, end it, just end it now. You know, the you know, the world would be better without you. Those type of thoughts were, were racing through my head. Um, but fortunately for me, um, my wife and my kids just came into my head. And, and that was the trigger to pull over. That was the trigger to, no, 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 pull over, stop driving, pull over. So I pulled over to the hard shoulder, I phoned, I phoned my wife again, you know, and that's when we decided, right, this now I'm going to need some proper intervention so obviously off we go to the GP you know uh, of little known to us in the next couple of weeks COVID-19 was going to bring everything into shutdown the NHS etc so um, you know I was offered um, antidepressants um, and again there's a stigma attached to to antidepressants and even I even I was saying to myself you know, I don't want to take these but I but I remember, you know, speaking to my hypnotherapist and, and his words to me were, Dave, if you'd just come out of a major operation, would you take painkillers? I said, well, yeah. So why aren't you taking something that can help you with this pain? Why are you not doing what your doctor is saying would be the right thing for you? And it was great, great advice. So obviously we did that. Unfortunately, the NHS, you know, their counselling sessions, etc. we you know we couldn't. We couldn't gain access to them, but they are now starting uh, to start up again. Albeit, I'm in a great, I'm in a far better place than I've probably been in many years because, because a new professional help wasn't coming. I've just carried on with my studies. Um, when, when um, you know, um, me and my, my previous employers, obviously, I've made um, redundant due to COVID nineteen. Um, once that happened, I decided, you know what. Um, what I think the very day that that conversation took place, I immediately uh, registered myself to become a first aider for mental health and well-being, because uh, I thought to myself, actually, I've always wanted to run my own training and consultancy company, but as well as being able to help people in the sales arena, um, sales management arena, in you know, we've set it up as Automotive Minds um, One because it's got a clear. Uh, connotation to the automotive industry but also it's for any industry because the the mind is very automatic and what what I can do uh, now I've got the uh, accreditations etc is you know you learn how to disrupt the automatic mind the the mind that goes to those negative places habitual patterns yeah yeah absolutely you can learn techniques and processes that actually disrupts that so that for sure you live in the present day you actually you know become become better so i decided you know what i don't want a single person to ever have to be 
uh, on a motorway at 70 miles an hour, debating, doing the, you know, the ultimate uh, thing of, of, of attempting to commit suicide. What I want to do is I want to use my negative experience to become one of the most positive of my life, but also positive for, for other people by sharing my story, by letting people know that actually I've been there, you know, I've been at the absolute lowest you can be, but actually let me tell you now, life is worth living. You know, once you break it, once you break that chain of thought and you bring people back into your life and you let them help you and support you, you know, you actually become, a, believe it or not, a better human being. You, you become more grounded than you've, you've, you've ever been. So if I can help even one person, uh, then, you know, this will have been... And of course, you're, you're so much uh, more suited for, for helping people rather than somebody that um, has, in inverted commas, just taking a mental health course or has gone down the route of qualifying in CBT, NLP, neurolinguistic programming, hypnotherapy, all of which are fantastic tool sets to help yeah. deal with this. Um, yeah. Because authentically, you've been through it. You've lived it. Yeah you know the subtle signs that now when you look back you would miss because you weren't aware but you can spot them in others and you you feel it you can be sat across from somebody and you can feel deeply what they're going through yeah. but at the same time therefore be able to help them yeah and, and again you know you know in any training course that you go on and it's the same back in your school days isn't it you always like the lessons where you like the teacher you know that mm -hmm. that's what we, we always do and i think that you know in any training course that i've ever sat on if i believe that the person who is instructing me has got real life experience is authentic in what they're doing there's a clear sure. connection there with that person for sure i'm more likely to listen absolutely and that's the key bit around mental health and well-being it's about listening whether that be if you've been trained around awareness or, or you, you know you're doing the supervisory course around mental health or actually, if you're dealing with a colleague who is going through mental health and well-being problems, it's all about listening. And and I think that you know, absolutely, like you say, it does it does give me um, credibility. It, and I think that people will will resonate in in, in terms of the style that I use. I've actually. certainly found in my own career that whenever I've been through a challenge, either personally or professionally in business, uh, I've had a setback. I've dealt with that. I have then found myself working with customers, with clients with a similar issue um, and felt being so much more authentically able to help them because I'd found my way through it personally. And Absolutely. Yeah, you, 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 hard to go through, but we, you know, we are better for the experiences of our life. And I firmly believe that whatever happens to us happens for a reason and that will help us. And, and, and now in turn, you're going on to help other people because so many do suffer in silence and where, you know, where, where they have those suicidal thoughts or they, they, they become more angry like that, that, that quote hurt people, hurt people, or they take to uh, distraction activities um, such as alcohol or drugs or whatever. And they therefore are, are not addressing the underlying cause. They're just numbing the symptoms. And I have to say, you know, you've just touched on something there that is, is really interesting. You know, if I, if I was to go back six years, uh, you know, six years ago and, you know, um, I had a suspicion that, that, that one of 
you know, my team have a heavy night the night before or, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, I think, again, we're programmed that, yeah, of course it's unprofessional. It's unprofessional for people to do recreational drugs in, in work time. It's unprofessional to, you know, come in when you've had a heavy night the night before. But do you know what? Would I ever have thought to myself, hang on a minute, what is causing this behaviour? Rather than see it as unprofessional, which of course it is, to go a stage underneath that and actually yeah, yeah. try What's and understand it? what is going on in this person's life that is making them behave in this way and because by tapping into that actually we could bring them back to the solid ground and they could be as you know as good as they've ever been probably one of the most profound and powerful coaching sort of questions i was ever taught um was two part of the and, and you when we worked together previously you may remember me have used this so the first part is an assumption in any moment in any one moment a person's behavior is the right response for them yeah. And then they, followed by a question, what must be going on in their world in order for that behavior to be the right response? And that's like, yeah. Yeah, what what could be for them to come in hungover, smelling of alcohol, for example, what must be going on? What a lot of people think is it's unprofessional. Where's the self-discipline? Um, they just got drunk last night. Yeah. And not actually saying, well, what, what might be triggering that? Why are they being drinking during the week? Or why are they being drinking to excess or whatever? And start to look underneath, okay, so what are they masking? What, what, what are they trying to, um, yeah. to distract themselves from? Well, you know, again, through, through my studies, I, I came across a quote, forgive me, I can't actually remember who, who, this, uh, who actually said this, uh, but the quote was that opinions, we, we form opinions very, very quickly, and, and the quote was, opinions are merely uh, the point between ignorance and the facts. That's oh, what an that's opinion is. And, yeah. I think, and I think for me, you know, when I heard that for the first time, I thought, absolutely, rather than form an assumption, an opinion, on a situation, try and get to the facts. Try yeah. and get to that point where you uh, are going to be able to make wiser decisions to best help and support the person that, that you're speaking to. And yeah. I just think that, you know, when, and, and I actually, it's mad now because I actually see this as a gift, which is, you know, going back to February in that car, you know, I wouldn't have dreamt that I'd have, I'd have said that. But I think the fact that, like you say, I've lived through it. I'm, I've really had to look at myself really hard. I, I probably owe a lot of people uh, apologies, you know, not not because I've tried to to hurt them or to do ill by them, but I was I was I was ill, and I didn't know I was ill, um, you know. And hopefully they will. But the other thing you, you would, go, the other thing you were doing as well, David, though, is that when people saw you was determined, people saw you as confident. People might have also saw you becoming a little bit more aggressive. You were putting so much energy into being somebody that wasn't authentically you and to wear this facade, this outer cloak, so people couldn't see what was going. As soon as you kind of open that cloak and be able to say, well, actually, this is the real me. I, I, I'm fallible. I'm vulnerable. This is what I've been going through. This is what I'm struggling with. Um, you don't waste all that energy trying to fulfill or portray that that facade you can redirect that energy into healing into into in, into sorting your mind out what what have you found to be good you know from a mental health point of view good daily weekly practices to help you know because it's, it's not it's, it's it's an ongoing journey isn't it? it's an ongoing it work so what what do you find has helped interrupt that flow of negative thought processes and help to keep you in a much more positive place? 
Well, I mean, in terms of a, of a, of a day-to-day practice, I'm, I'm more now in, in tune with my thought processes than, than I've ever been. So, you know, what, what you can train your mind to do is when you, when you feel your mind wandering into an area that you don't want it to go to, you bring it back to the present, what you're currently doing. So I'm finding now that every, every task that I undertake, everything that I do, whether that be playing with my children or, or whatever it may be, I'm fully invested in that task and and if 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 i get distracted in any way i'm very quick go no no we're here and in its infancy that was very very difficult to do because again we're habitual so because i've constantly been allowing my mind to to go elsewhere you've got to train it to go no 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 we're not listening to that side anymore we're just doing so that that's something that i've and 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 as you say that's something that you've got to continue to work on day in and day out. Uh, another thing that 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 was um, introduced to me actually whilst I was at Audi, which which had an effect on me, was I came across somebody who said that you should write down all the things that nourish you in life, and all the things that deplete your life. Just write them down. You know what are the top ten things that give you satisfaction, that put you in a good place. What are the ten things that that really, if you could, you would avoid because they're actually not adding any value to your life. And again, that was a really interesting exercise because what I found was that the things that I enjoy the most in life, I'd stop doing. So, yeah. you know, I wasn't being topped up with goodness for want of a, a better word. You know, what, what yeah. we do in life that we enjoy, it changes everything about us. It nourishes us. Uh, I wasn't doing that anymore. So by actually bringing into focus those things that I hold dear, whether that be you know watching my rugby team or spending time with my children or whatever it may be, by having a real clear you know line of sight to those ten things that mean the most to me in life, it keeps me focused on the right things because all of those ten things put me in a positive frame of mind. So they're just two techniques that that, that I've used that that really work for me. So the key message really coming out for this, David, is um, if you are suffering, if you're finding yourself um, going inward, having more and more negative thoughts, sitting time alone, questioning the value that you add to your family or, or, or to society, and you're starting to feel, is life worth it? Yeah. then you first of all reach out to those nearest and dearest to you and share it and then secondly you go and get professional help whether that be cbt neurolinguistic programming therapist you know hypnotherapy um yes of course there's a gp route but i i i my whilst i'm not no medical doctor my fundamental training having spent so much time in the world of nlp my fundamental mindset is let's address the cause Yes, you've got to treat the symptom, but let's address the cause so that we can heal, you know, over time and get better. And certainly with this conversation, David, I I, I watched um, soon. I think one of the another thing that I was taught early on when I was speaking and speaking to audiences is pay attention on the audience, connect with the audience. Don't pay attention to what the 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 voice in your own head that could be telling you, what if I forget my what I'm going to say? What if they don't like me? What if this this doesn't work or doesn't land well? Stop that. Put all your attention on the audience or the person that you're working with one-on-one. That's where the answers are. And as soon as you devote yourself to what's going on in front of you rather than what's going on inside your head in any interaction, you come out yourself. And I've seen this through this conversation that you start a little bit apprehensive, but actually you have a real calling with this now, David, and, and you have such a, 
powerful story, but such a genuine heartfelt desire to help. And I see a very capable, accomplished person uh, that is going and is making a big difference in 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 the lives of others as a result of this journey that you've been through. Yeah, and uh, you know, I thank you for saying that, Gavin. I do. I think for me now, obviously, what what I'm doing at the moment is good. You know, I'm, I'm interacting with some wonderful people and I'm, I'm hopefully, you know, giving them comfort, hope, uh, guidance as best they can. I'm not a professional, you know, only a professional can diagnose a mental health condition, you know, and, and we, we need to all be very mindful as people who can train first aid for mental health or can practice mindfulness. There are limits to what we oh, can sure. do. For professionals sure. are professionals for a reason. But I think, you know, what, what I'd hope is going to happen in, in the, certainly in the short to medium term, is that instead of it, and I'll always help people who approach me on a one-to-one, but it's being able to do good on, on a grander scale. Um, you know, there's a saying that leaders go first. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. used that a couple of times. Um, and, and what I'd hope is that, you know, what I'm not doing is I'm not going out there banging on doors, asking people, to allow me in to help them with their mental health at work policy. I would rather it be the other way. I would rather leaders contact me because they've made that decision that they wish to really tackle mental health in the workplace. And they see me as somebody who can engage with their team, who can support their team, can put absolutely the right um, plans, processes in place to develop an organisational culture that is good for people's mental health, but should a member of their team suffer from poor mental health, that actually uh, written in their company charter, um, you know, there is a clear message to to their people that, you know, if you are struggling, you need to tell us because we will help you. You do not need to worry about yeah. your job. Yeah. We put you first. You're, you're, you know, you're a person first, you're an employee second. We will always do right by you. And I do hope that there's there's leaders out there who want to have a bottom down approach so that yeah. we can do we can do that. But also I think we need to look at a bottom up approach as well. Fantastic. So David, how can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing with Automotive Minds? Right. So obviously we, we have a website uh, which is automotiveminds.uk uh, and on there it, it you know it, it has my story on there. It's not as in as much detail as as uh, we've gone through here today um but it is there uh, what we offer in terms of our training programs etc um there is a, a sales and sales management training arm that's at the moment specifically for automotive and the reason i've done that as well as, as focusing on the mental health is obviously with 19 years knowledge and experience and having for trained sure. for so many years if i can train people to be better at their jobs that helps their mind so oh, i put sure. that out there on an e-learning platform that people can can enroll on and, and do at their at their leisure, uh, but then of course they've, they've got the, the the mental health side as well. My phone number is is on the site. My email is is on the site, and um, yeah, I just want to start at the moment. I'm I'm happy with uh, where we are in terms of the company's only three weeks old. There's been a lot of really supportive people get in touch with me. I've got lots of appointments. Uh, nothing concrete at this stage, but it, it's very much. Um, I've just got this burning desire now to to work with somebody, to work with an organisation, to really start to uh, do good uh, that I know I can do. Uh, I just need that first platform 
You to, will. To I will it. keep on doing what you're doing. Keep sharing your story. There's uh, there's authenticity. There's authenticity. There's awareness. The skill and this heart, all those combinations together means that you will be making and consistently making a big difference. David, thank you so much for your time today. It's been my pleasure and thank you, Gary, for supporting me. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact.